It's day five of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, today we are continuing the speech tournament between Job and his friends, highlighting Job's continued struggle to make sense of his suffering and his longing for answers from God. Now, regardless, his friends continue to press their idea that Job's suffering must be because of sin. But before we get into that, if you want to stay connected with us and not miss a day, one of the best ways is by signing up for our daily newsletter. You can go over to our website, heartdive.org, and there you can put in your email, I promise not to spam you, but if you do want to receive this email that has everything all in one place, the video, the notes, well, the newsletter is where it's at. So make sure that you check your junk mail folder or your spam folder if you don't receive that email once you put in your email address. Otherwise, if you're back here for more because you realize that being in God's Word is the best place to be, could you hit that like button for us? Also, make sure you're subscribed to the channel and you've got your notifications on so that you know when every podcast drops every single day. And podcast listeners, if this has been blessing your life, we would love it if you could please give us a good review, five-star review if possible, so that we can continue to spread the message around the world. We're so grateful that everybody is here. Please let us know where you are watching from, especially if you are new here. And the question that I want to pose today because of the fact that I've got a praise report. Remember yesterday we were asking if you have prayed for good friends? Well, I prayed for my good friends yesterday, or I asked the Lord to review reveal to me who those people were. And sure enough, wouldn't you know it, that I had two friends, blast from the past, really dear friends who are strong Christian women who reached out to me in the last couple of days, reconnecting with me, letting me know that they are here for me, they're praying for me. And I just thought, wow, God, you know, won't he do it? Won't he show you the very things that you need to see in the perfect timing? And another one of my dear friends reached out to me last night and just spoke wisdom and spoke truth to me and filled my cup. And I think it's important that we share how God is moving in our lives because it's encouraging to other people to then bolster their faith and ask God for things that maybe they wouldn't have asked for before. So my question to you today is, do you have a praise report? Has God answered a prayer or do you even have a prayer request? Please write that in the comments below. Give us your praise reports. Tell us what you're grateful for today or tell us how we can also be partnering with you to pray as this is a community and it is important for us to stick together and be praying for one another. Otherwise, let's go ahead and pray, speaking of which, and dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day. We thank You, Lord, for who You are. We worship You in all of Your goodness and Your majesty. You are holy. You are the great I Am. You are everything that we need, our ever-present help in time of trouble, our healer, our provider, our banner under which we stand. Thank you, Lord, that we get to call you our God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. And we just worship you today. We stand in awe of you today with a healthy fear, a reverence, and humbling ourselves before you. So I pray right now that as we do so, that you will open up our eyes, ears, and hearts to be able to hear from you, to see your face, to understand what it is that we are reading. I pray that your heartbeat will be revealed to us in fresh new ways. And I pray, Lord, that it will be only truth that is spoken and that is seen here today. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins, anywhere that we have fallen short, 
crossed over the line, haven't done what you told us to do. I pray, Lord, that we will know what those things are. And if we don't, God, you know what we need to confess or repent of. And so I just pray that you will reveal those things to us today. Help us, Lord, to make it right, to especially make it right with you. But if we have something against someone else, God, the word says that we must go to them and make it right before we come to the altar to offer our sacrifice. And so I just pray that you will help us to forgive others, Lord. Help us to reconcile with broken relationships. And I just pray, Lord, that you will bless every person and their families here today as we have come here in obedience to be able to commune with you and to have this time of fellowship. So I thank you for it. We love you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So yesterday we heard from Job's first friend, Eliphaz, and Job is going to be replying here in chapter six. Then Job answered and said, oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in the balance, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. So he's basically saying, you have no clue how much weight I am bearing here. If you could put it in a weight, it would be heavier than all of the sand on the seashores across the earth. And this is his excuse as to why he has spoken the words he has spoken. So he's basically admitting here that the things that he has been saying really hold no weight and kind of one of those, I didn't mean to say that in the heat of the moment kind of things. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. And arrows in the Bible typically symbolize God's judgment. So he does feel as though God is sending these arrows of judgment that are dipped in poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass or the over their fodder. So he's basically saying, you know, when, when animals have their food and all of their needs are met, they're content. I'm groaning because I don't have my needs met at this point. Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? So he's saying what I'm feeling right now is bitterness. So he's saying what you are feeding me is bitterness. It's leaving a bad taste in my mouth. My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. So this right here shows that at least Job still has a concern about his relationship with God. So he's sort of declaring his innocence at this point. And we're also seeing here that he has asked God to basically strike him down. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones or is my flesh bronze? So he's telling them, do you guys think I'm Superman or something? Have I any help in me when resources driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. So they should be being kind to him as a good friend, but they're not. My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed as torrential streams that pass away, which are dark with ice and where the snow hides itself. So he's obviously expressing his disappointment in his friends at this point, the fact that they are offering zero refreshment to him. When they melt, they disappear. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course and they go up into the waste and perish. 
the caravans of Tima, look, the travelers of Sheba, hope. So the caravans and the travelers of Tima and Sheba, which are both in Arabia, basically were traveling and were met by dry stream beds. So they were looking for water, but they didn't find it, which is the same way that he feels with his friends. They are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. For you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. Have I said, make me a gift? He's saying, I didn't ask for much from you guys or from your wealth to offer a bribe for me or deliver me from the adversary's hand or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless. No, he didn't teach me and I will be silent. So he's saying, show me what I have done wrong. And then you can shut me up. Make me understand how I have gone astray. So they're telling him he's gone astray, but they're not giving him any evidence of that. How forceful are upright words. So basically saying their words are harsh and insensitive. But what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? So again, he is saying my words have basically been emotional words of desperation. You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. So he's calling them a sellout here. This is an insult because the friends were supposed to counsel him. They were supposed to comfort him. That's what good friends do instead of listening the way that a good counselor would. Because if you ever have been to counseling, you know that good counselors listen to you. They don't sit there and just try to preach at you all day. They listen more than they talk. And instead, his friends are arguing with him and they're demeaning him, even if it's in a backhanded way. But now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. So you almost wonder if they're kind of hanging their heads in shame here as they listen to him cry out. I don't know, but they're not looking at him. Please turn. Let no injustice be done. Turn now. My vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? So he's telling them, do you guys really think that I cannot discern the difference between good and evil? Where's the injustice here? Chapter seven, he continues, has not man a hard service on earth and are not his days like the days of a hired hand, like a slave who longs for the shadow and like a hired hand who looks for his wages. So I am allotted months of emptiness. Now we don't know how long Job actually went through all of this suffering, but clearly here at least months. So it was a very long time. And he is saying, my life is worse than a slave and nights of misery are apportioned to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night is long and I am full of tossing till the dawn. So he is suffering from insomnia here. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. Oh, if you've ever had skin issues, you'll know what I'm talking about. I got eczema, so I get it. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. So essentially almost saying there's not even a thread of hope in my life. My life has been meaningless. Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. Now, Sheol was a place they would refer to regarding death and the grave. So it's not an actual place, but that was symbolic of the grave and death. He returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him anymore. So I think 
think Job has an uncertainty at this point about the afterlife. We saw him in his possible misunderstanding of what happens when you die yesterday. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you set a guard over me? So remember, seas in the Bible often represents evil and chaos. So he's referring here to this mythological imagery in order to display the weight of his emotions. So he's like, am I the worst of the worst that you have to sit here and guard me like I'm a prisoner of some sort, like I'm a criminal? And when I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. Now, I want to stop here for a second, because there are people in our lives who will come to us and they will speak things over us that will cause fear and that will cause dissension and that will give us anxiety. But I want you to know that that is not of the Lord. God does not bring fear. The enemy does. He is the one who wants to intimidate us. He is the one who wants us to be brought down in fear. That is not God. God brings peace. The Bible says so in James chapter three. So his message, his word should never terrify you, especially if you have an understanding of the word of God, so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. Now, again, this isn't saying that he wants to commit suicide or anything like that. He could have possibly been suffering from a respiratory issue at this point. So it feels like he's being strangled, but he is essentially saying, I would rather die than to continue in this anguish. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. It's almost like he thinks that God is the one tormenting him. He doesn't realize that it's actually Satan who he needs to leave him alone. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Now, these words here are very similar to Psalm chapter eight, which has left many scholars debating whether or not this was written before Psalms or Psalms was written before this to have that influence. Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? Okay, what does that mean? This is an Arabic idiom, meaning for one instant. So basically how we kind of say like the twinkling of an eye or in a moment. So if we go back, we would say, how long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone in a moment? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become your burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. So he is questioning God here. He's like, what are you doing? And sadly, he's feeling this way because his friends have added even more weight than his already existing anguish and burden through the words that they have spoken to him. So hard check. Do you consider the weight of your words before you speak them to someone? Man, don't you just wish that you could shout at Job right here and be like, hey, Job, I know the end of the story. Kind of like how you'll watch a movie and be like, don't go through that door. So here, Job thinks that God is against him or punishing him, and we know that he is actually honoring him and is eventually going to lift him up to be even greater than before. He's going to be at the front of the line. But then again, but then again, I wonder if it would even do any good because we know the end of our own story, yet we still end up in this place of despair and sorrow in this life. While God is sitting over there saying, I'm about to lift you up. This is only temporary. I know the end of the story. You may not be able to see it right now, but I've got something even greater for you. So heart check. 
Are you able to hold on to the end of the story whenever you are in the middle of it? Then we hear from his second friend, Bildad, in chapter 8. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a great wind? So he is referring to the words that Job had just used about his own words, but he's kind of twisting them a little bit because Job was more so saying that he has overreacted and so his words were kind of out of line, whereas Bildad is saying, yeah, your words really are out of line and it's all a bunch of hot air. So he's rebuking Job for rebuking Eliphaz. Verse three, does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? So Bildad's basing all of his judgment and accusations on God's justice alone with this almost staunch traditionalist view. And he's like, how dare you question him? And that will happen if we have a very simplistic or one-sided view of God. But we know that his character spans well beyond justice. So heart check. Which attributes of God do you place your confidence in? Verse 4, if your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. Ouch, that's harsh. It's basically saying God gives people what they deserve, and so your children deserve to die. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, which newsflash, Bildad, God actually said he is pure and upright, but that's beside the point. Surely then he will rouse himself for you. Newsflash, Bildad, he will, and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. The irony here is that all of this that he is speaking is actual truth. This all is going to happen, but obviously not in the way that Bildad thinks it is. For inquire, please, of bygone ages and consider what the fathers have searched out. So he's saying, just look at history. It'll tell you. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing. So he's kind of giving him a little bit of a grace pass here saying, ah, you know what, though? I get it. We were only born yesterday, so we don't really know what happened in the past. For our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words out of their understanding? So Bildad is telling Job to look at the past to teach him about God, but he's still got it all twisted because there's never really been a solid connection between righteousness and blessing. He's kind of preaching the prosperity gospel here, like basically saying, if you're good, God's going to bless you. But hello, look at Abel. He died an unjust death. So where does that leave him? So yeah, we can indeed learn from the past, but if we're going to look back, it has to be with the intention to allow it to propel us forward and not anchor us in what was or what could have been. So heart check, are you able to look back and allow your past to propel you forward? See, I think that if Job looks back at this point, he's going to get stuck. He's going to get anchored there because nothing's going to make sense. Can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? While yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. So he's kind of saying your roots are being exposed here. Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. Which again, he's speaking truth here. I mean, if you forget God, you will indeed perish. His confidence is severed and his trust is a spider's web. But he's misapplying these truths here because right here he's implying that Job had a false sense of security in all of his wealth and prosperity. He leans against his house, but it does not stand. He lays hold of it, but it does not endure. He is a lush plant before the sun and his shoots spread over his garden. His roots entwine the stone heap. He looks upon a house of stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him saying, I have never seen you. 
Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the soil others will spring. So Bildad is oversimplifying the law of cause and effect in nature and misapplying it to the spiritual realm of Job's life. But that's not going to work. If you try to take the laws of nature and apply it to the spiritual realm, you're going to be all kinds of discouraged and led astray. Behold, God will not reject a blameless man, nor take the hand of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the tent of the wicked will be no more. So he ends here with a little bit of encouragement saying, hey, you know what? God will restore you, Job, but you got to get it right first. You got to confess and repent. So he's saying the same thing that Eliphaz told him, basically saying you're suffering because of your sin. So here Job replies in chapter nine. Then Job answered and said, truly, I know that it is so. So he is agreeing that God does reward and correct, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. So this word contend here is referring to the way that you would present a case in a legal court. And he's basically saying that he has a legal dilemma here because not only is God the judge, but he's also his defense attorney. However, he's accusing him at the same time, at least in the mind of Job. So he's like, there's no way that I can respond in any way that's going to work. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? No one. And thankfully, Job hasn't yet hardened himself against God. He who removes mountains and they know it not when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion, the Pletus and the chambers of the south. He is declaring the majesty and the power and the sovereignty of God here, declaring that only God can do these things. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. So he's got that feeling that God has become so big and Job feels so small that he can't even relate to him anymore. He feels so distant. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. Now in this section here, we can actually see some parallels to Jesus when he talks about how God trampled the waves of the sea. Well, Jesus, of course, walked on water. How he made the stars. Well, Jesus's birth was actually announced by a star. He who does great things beyond searching out Jesus and all of the miracles that he performed, he passes by and I see him not in verse 11. Well, remember that Jesus was able to get through angry mobs in John chapter 8. And the fact that he feels so distanced from God, this was the whole purpose that Jesus came was so that we would have that restoration of fellowship with the Father. And he says, God will not turn back his anger. Well, we even saw Jesus in his righteous anger, overturning the tables in the temple. And then he continues here in verse 17, for he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. So Job is declaring his relative innocence here. He isn't saying he's without sin, but he's saying for the most part, 
I have not done anything wrong here to deserve this. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. Because if he were to actually declare himself completely innocent and righteous, well, that would show his own pride and arrogance. So he is saying, I can't even say it without my own words condemning me. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. So he holds both the blameless and the wicked equally accountable. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. Now, this one actually made me squirm a little bit because the thought of God actually laughing at innocent people who are being destroyed made me shiver. And so his understanding of God is getting really twisted here. And that is what Satan will do because we got to remember that it is Satan at work here in this whole situation. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, who then is it? So who else is causing all of this to happen? My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. So he's describing that his life feels like it's spinning out of control. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash my face with snow, which is known for the purest water, and cleanse my hands with lye or soap, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. Essentially, he is scared to even try to encourage himself because he is living in fear of what God is going to do to him. So any attempt to try to purify himself will all be in vain. And yeah, God will sometimes plunge us into a pit in order to build our character, though, and to build our faith. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. So in other words, he's saying, I'll never know why. I mean, he is too far away to even ask at this point. There is no arbiter between us or mediator who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. So in the end, Job expresses this innate desire for a mediator between him and God because he feels hopeless on his own. And this ultimately looks to the coming of our great mediator, Jesus, who because of what he did on the cross, again, gives us that access to our father who may have once felt distant or dormant. So heart check, do you have a true understanding of your access to the Father through our great mediator? Now, all of the heart checks are intended for you to be able to have a personal introspective moment to be able to ask yourself, hey, how is this word being applied to my life today? But if you are in a group or you are fellowshipping with other people, I want to ask these questions, these deep dive questions. And so I encourage you to write them down so that you can really think about these things or journal on them even. First of all, in what ways were you able to see God's heartbeat throughout this reading? And does it challenge or affirm your understanding of who God is? Secondly, how does Job's approach toward God affect the way that you stand before him? Number three, do you consider Job's words a lack of faith or simply a response to his suffering? 
Number four, how do you deal with suffering? And how has Job's resilience in his affected your insight? And number five, how does Job's struggle with understanding God influence your faith journey? So Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your grace upon our lives. Even in the midst of our own misunderstanding of who you are or our short-sightedness of our situations in life, forgive us, Lord, where we have questioned your ways or even your will for our lives. Help us to have eyes that see you clearly in the fullness of your nature, not just fitting attributes for our situation at hand. And I pray that in every moment of our lives, whether good or bad, we will be able to see you in it. And I pray that we are able to grasp the meaning of your sovereignty and how despite our external circumstances, you are in complete control. Thank you, Lord, for showing us again what a good friend looks like and how the words that we speak, despite our intentions, will impact the hearer in great ways. And so I pray, God, that we will be even more mindful of our words today. Help us to speak words of love and encouragement rather than suspicion or condemnation. I pray that we will be people who lift others up and may we never twist the truth about who you are to fit our own perspective of what may be happening in someone's life. May we always apply your word and your ways properly. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done so that we can have full access to heaven's throne. Thank you for pleading our case as our great mediator every second of the day before the Father, crushing the lies and accusations of the enemy. And I pray, God, that you will do the same in our minds when we begin to hear his voice above yours. Silence the lies of the enemy today, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing, and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.